Section 9 of Through Broadland in a Braden Punt by John Nolittle, a pseudonym of the writer and naturalist Arthur Henry Patterson. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapters 17 and 18. Chapter 17 Homeward Bound. Lastly, when you get home from a low-lying country shooting trip safe and well, don't measure its success by the number of animal lives you took, but think of the elephants you saw by moonlight drinking at the tank, of the butting match between two bucks in the open which you watched through your glasses, of the monkeys which gambled in the tree over your tent, incidents of the trip which justify you in saying you had a jolly good time though you may not have brought back a single decent trophy by alfred clark from sport in salon there is a soothing rustle among the reeds as the pure morning air bustles among them most are cut on the marshes over the cutting but Farmer Mean has kindly left a fringe of them beside the water to please my fancy. The stars glint brightly in the dark sky. It is three in the morning. The cabin lamp of the Moorhen II flings a shadow of my pen upon this sheet, duplicating itself. Cannot I sleep? Well, it is my usual waking hour up here, for it is always the coolest of the night upon the waters, and my time to take up the eel lines when I have sought for prey. Eels bite best at midnight, and if you dally too long, the big ones have a queer way of getting off again. My head, thank goodness, is as fresh as the morning, for the rest of a day or two up here has blown most of that sun-fog away. I am patched up again. Sometimes I turn over and fall off again until six. But man was not made to be a dormouse, for an example in hibernation. To a certain extent I have been a little disappointed in my travels, the fishers have been indifferent to most angler folk, including myself. I ensnared no edible sized perch, which my stomach delights in, after cutting it kipper wise, salting, drying, and frying it in good fat with the scales on. I caught no eels a babbing. Where were the worms to come from in a heat wave? Bovril and meats are a bore in hot weather, and fruit has been almost as dearly paid for as sin, and is rarer. Whilst milk, unless one broaches tins of it, or speaks kindly to a cow in a marsh hard by, I fear I do not know her language, is difficult to get in the country, and goes gluey all too quickly when you do get it. An extra tin or two of fruit would jeopardise the Yarwhelp's plimsoll mark. 
the broadland birds i saw were not many but then i was mostly in motion and they scuttled away from me i missed seeing the school of crested grebes on ranworth broad and only spotted one on the sounds hide and shelter are plentiful just yet but probably the war adversely affected bird life by the papers i suspect bird stuffers will see less of them and some species will get a chance to multiply less handicapped than ever gamekeepers are becoming an extinct race and so the useful birds of prey will get a chance too my field glasses may be enhanced in value and get still more brassy in colour ducks seem fairly plentiful if the crackle of cartridges be any criterion one thing i did get which i had hoped for all the trip a moderately interesting thunderstorm but it was not half the one i desired i wanted local colour is a man ever satisfied if he has jupiter he will cry for mars if venus smiles upon him he will pine for the great bear it was ever so i had roosted on saturday night in a small cut just out of the traffic my next-door neighbour a yacht with a quiet couple on board a mile below potter i think i rejoiced their hearts by a gift of my remaining eels for their supper at six of sunday my hatchet was plied and l g soon setting to his breakfast of sticks l g is a walden for them coffee was made in a twinkling off came the awning untied came the cord diagonals and the boom lifted off the three small brass spikes in the half circular cuts in the shear tops the awning rolled up lightly went into its kit bag wood pigeons flapped over river and me wondering greatly they seem at home in every little copse in broadland l g was kicked over to vomit forth his red-hot ashes cost of this firing this morning was the price of one match a tip for coal worried housewives the sticks i had picked up floating you should have pulled a few rushes made a cushion of them upon that lump of hard clay and you might have learnt a lesson in speed economy cleanliness and comfort at sun-up it was sixty-five degrees promising a higher one at seven i was afloat again drifting and paddling towards womack we seem to be embarked on the placid current of our dreams floating from past to future as silently as one awakes to fresh morning or evening thoughts we glided noiselessly down the stream occasionally driving a pickerel or a bream from the covert of the lily pads and a smaller bittern now and then sailed away on sluggish wings from some recess on shore 
or the larger lifted itself out of the long grass at our approach and carried its precious legs to deposit them in a place of safety from a quote by thorough and just so did a great blue heron time after time he must have been hungry for so patiently dawdling and dropping ahead of me as drayton in his polyolbion saw him the hern which by the fishy car can fetch with their long necks out of the rush and reed snigs fry and yellow frogs whereon they often feed in the well lie a bunch of flowering rushes my annual home-bringing as a memento of a sunny day in broadland which mrs no little likes to see in the vases and which will be handed to the old sweetheart yonder it was schoolmaster wallace late of corpusty happily still living who aided and abetted my love of the waterside how lustily we boys sang to his baton which also stung our buttocks of violets violets beautiful blue violets laden with perfume and dripping all with dew from dell and from dingle by rill and by rivulet lady at sunrise i sought them for you the halyard cleat has come loose the screws being a bit too weak so i had to lower the mast and screw two larger ones in there will be some tugging this day what a contrast is a punt to a lordly yacht smashing its mast in a racing blast and tumbling a week's repairs to be upon deck in a moment a lazy leaning signboard is the landmark for womack broad's entrance let us turn into the dyke and visit this bashful retiring little beauty spot round and round winds the pathway the yarwhelp resenting the calls upon her capacities of sail and rudder the foliage and the reeds baffle us and the heat is becoming tiresome shall we continue certainly madam jog along and we jogged and corkscrewed for the end of the venture reveals to us a beautiful lagoon around which nestle mature-looking cottages thatched homilily a rare place for a nerve-worn citizen to recuperate thereat put up a carrion crow stealthy old forgivable black sinner skulking around for an addled egg in the moorhen's forsaken nest and for putrid fishes left by heartless anglers some of which roaches float obtrusively on the little stream why can't anglers use keep nets and let their captives go again at eventide perhaps to grow up bigger and give them sport again the paling moon is still above head at eight floating in the azure like a drifting medusa 
shorn of tentacles on the sea wave. Like patches of soft pile carpet, big spots of azolla float out from the broad upon the dike, drifting to the river, carrying its spores to people other waters. Snipe greets me, scaping. Moorhens, lively and plentiful. Still more wood pigeons. One milk tin, two, three, yea, a fourth, bopping among the weeds. Surely there's a baby farm at Womack, or the native cows have gone on strike. Morning, my friend. Who was that? A poet with dreamy eyes, long hair, and pathetic poses, nibbling a pencil. Morning, friend versifier. Lend me your ear, says he. Oh, yes, both if you like. And this is his output on those milk tins. The pooling babe, bereft of nature's aid, sucks substitutes from hand of callous maid, and reared by proxy, innocent of sin, it draws life's nectar from a Nestle's tin. Come forth, Wordsworth, Shelley, Thompson, Byron, Felicia Hammonds. Do any of thee claim that awful stanza? Hath yon hairy-faced versifier aught to do with thee? No answer. I know the fellow, I think, who breathed this atrocity in verse. I say no more of Womack than that it is a sequestered beauty spot, not much troubled by yacht folk, and is a quiet delight to those who haunt it. Starlings around the hooves of grateful bovines, insect-snapping swallows whirling aloft, swallows touching the river to the dismay of insects, nearly sailed onto a wild duck. What a fuss it made as I turned the corner on taking to wing. A fair wind now, my ladybird. Let's hurry downstream towards boatshed and home and beauty. Blow, ye winds, blow, steadily, briskly, willingly. Yonder is Thurn Church, which is not for me today, at the parting of the waters. I am now on the Bure again, more swallows and martins, dap-dapping at the surface of the stream after insects, splashing the water as if they had been learning it off the turns. Heat so far endurable, soft wind and balmy. Clusters of sleepy cattle and horses standing on the river banks, tails to wind, cooling. More ringdales calling in the trees. Form fours, form fours. Are they drilling today? It sounds very much like it. Pass under Acle Bridge at twelve. Host George and some yacht folk greet me, and we mardle a while. I drifted down to East Sticks Yacht Station, tied to a chain, got out some provender, and sat me under the shade of a funereal-smelling privet bush upon a chunk of wood, drawing a decayed yacht rudder before me for a table. 
it had become hot in capitals hot what shall we have for dinner meat no i want no fats tea no let lloyd george rest on the sabbath so it shall be lime juice drink some bread and margarine and nice strong cheese a marshman's lunch and then a big plate of tomatoes that covers my unprinted menu card for sweets i lay out a slice of cake i ate my tomatoes with sugar how awful if you ever tried that mixture you'll try it again prejudice is something why yesterday i sat blind ben die to boiled onions and milk he was infidel but my cooking of them converted him he was rebellious about tomatoes and sugar but i insisted and he figuratively speaking came to his knees for more from acle downwards i felt the heat again terribly not in the neck but on the forehead and was much distressed by it the wind blew warm and often contrary though i got some capital slants of it in some reaches it fought hard to baffle me i kept my head wetter than it was cool i wanted to get home it was queer how when clouds covered the sun the wind increased when he got through them he had eaten it up and then began on me again met at the three mill house by gulls a frolicking and then some common sandpipers it sounded like braden when i met the wind progress was slow and so i came to the lower reaches of the bure tired strained heat-baked but conquering i had done my voyage and to time at six p m when the bells were ringing for church or was it for my homecoming i had the needed tow down to the boat shed and this morning a sturdy honest fellow an ex man o' war's man who now spends odd hours around braden bridge and that woeful braden knoll assisting yacht folks barrowed my things home to ibis house lloyd george having a fine high carriage seat in the triumphal procession and deserving it chapter eighteen the yarwhelp's outfit near the end of march eighteen forty five i borrowed an axe and went down to the woods by walden pond nearest to where i intended to build my house and cut down some pines for timber perhaps it is the most generous course to permit your fellow men to have an interest in your enterprise the owner of the axe as he released his hold on it said it was the apple of his eye sometimes a rambler in the wood was attracted by the sound of my axe and we chatted pleasantly over the chips which i made by thorough monday noontime august the eighteenth 
finds me again in the bosom of my family. I am like Robinson Crusoe after his rescue, first of all married, and that not either to my disadvantage or dissatisfaction, but, unlike him, in his restlessness, I had no great mind to be upon the wing again. I have duties towards my own family, and other people's little noints in darkest Yarmouth. I do not quarrel with my duties. I would not live to myself if I could. I have just come from the boat-shed, having partly dismantled the yarwhelp, making her disgorge the stores and cargo, the load of bedding, crockery, pantry sundries, and enough other things to stock a johnny all sorts, or make an auctioneer's clerk's heart, like son John's, to bound and to catalogue them. That ambitious lad would catalogue the sands upon the seashore if it were his duty to do so. Ay, and the coots of horning and hickling and horsey, or the mice in a grocer's cellar. Well, the Yarwhelp, now in her twenty-sixth year, is seventeen feet long by four at her waist, from there tapering off to a sharp stem and stern, like a weaver's shuttle. I see punts in Broadland capital for wildfowling, like Jim Vincent's, but mine was built for bird-watching. Theirs are shallower and narrower. I want a greater stability and elbow-room and comfort. Under the long-covered foredeck, I kept by day my four-foot carriage cushion, my bed by night when drawn into the well, and added thereto by two smaller ones. These, lashed up in a bit of red-striped pickling, went into its cave by day, and on the mid-floor at kipping time. Three dark blankets wrapped in a bit of waterproof went there also, in both locations, as day or night required. For a pillow, I just tucked under the little canvas bag of potatoes and onions, another of tools, and a spare pair of boots, covering them with the folded pickling and the wrapper, and topping the lot with my little feather rowing cushion, covered, ye gods, with rich green plush velvet, a bit given me by a worthy bachelor friend. Two long lockers are in the well-sides. I wish they'd been wider. In these I stowed a fishing-rod, eel-lines, a few small precious books, a box of knives, which I had cut down and rounded, after years of friction with a cleaner, forks and spoons, two or three of each, a tin-opener, scissors, and, shut off by a thin partition, my pens and a bottle of ink for these chapters. And, for vanity's sake, a couple of soldiers' hair and clothes brushes, a comb and a mirror for the same vanitous impulses, when the water below me forbade reflection, which was seldom, for almost always it was, as Moore puts it, clear as dew that sleeps beneath my frail canoe, 
which reflected floating there looks as if it hung in air a thermometer spring balance tin box containing specimen tubes for tenanting which i hardly took a tiny life a pocket box compass to get the lay of obscure points bait tin and a small box with a hussif of needles big threaders reel of thread against emergencies and shirt and brace buttons not to mention a platoon of pins my kit bag held three old hats just suitable for pirates or a drover spare kerchiefs socks and robe and other oddments the opposite locker had a chemistry appearance a row of syrup tins airtight squat receptacles painted red or black and labelled sugar w ditto b tea and chemist's shop what was in the latter well a bottle of friar's balsam for hook pricks thorn stabs abrasions did i tear my skin i dabbed a drop on did it smart all the better for it dried with a disinfectory healing influence and i then forgot the accident another bottle contained hartshorn and sweet oil for aches of throat if any another tincture of rhubarb a fourth bottle contained spare ink and lastly mason's fly frightener which proved a useful ally on stuffy fly days there also lined up a pepper box salt box coffee cocoa and cafe au lait tins not forgetting one of matches in three volumes i had but four matches left as i locked the turnout in the yarwelp stable in a little recess i kept my scented carbol soap in a bit of flannel using both occasionally a sailor's knife always handy either for cutting cheese or a stick or a sheet if a roger catches one on the hop a tin of soda for washing dishes but a bit of clean mud is a fine grease eradicator and the plates come bright as nip in answer to a rinsing overboard a bit of emery cloth on a flat stick served well as sharpener and knife cleaner the stern locker hid my wood chopper my enamelled plate cup and saucer pint jug which was also my teapot etc pint basin and little fry pan i have also a pint one and a smaller saucepan a jar of dripping my ditto of margarine my sauce and bottle of coffee my breakback rat trap for rats are great explorers where you cannot reach them and lastly nor leastly lloyd george when cool and resting l g lies at the extreme end of my little crickieth and if he wants a harp let him use the small wire betty with which i cross the volcano to hold my saucepan of water stew or what not i measured l g to-day 
he is a comparatively little fellow six and a half inches high six broad and stands on three four-inch legs which are nutted to his sides his eloquence when warmed up knows no bounds and if i want to quickly cool him i dip him in the water but by the time it takes to boil an egg or a second one my water is hot and the tea jug there for the reception to these items may be added two clean sacks or mushrooms for a stray chicken no i am not huck finn who says i slipped into the cornfields and borrowed a watermelon or things of that sort pap always said it warn't no harm to borrow things if you were meanin' to pay them back some time but the widow said it warn't anything but a soft name for stealing the sacks helped my pillow by night or stuffed out draughts when packed at the awning bottom and by day they lay with a few picked-up sticks fodder for lg on the foredeck to keep the sun from opening any creases on these by day lay the compass-like awning shears whilst at night the mast sail and oars lay on the bank alongside two ash stakes painted white at the top held the yarwhelp in leash while an iron one of two legs a foot long was stuck in if soft soil was not obtainable as an anchorage a box containing a small primer stove which i only used twice being bad-tempered outdoors also made room for a small square paraffin tin and a spirit one also a funnel a box of liggers and night lines and fishing gear i seldom opened my awning contained eleven square yards of stout oily jumper calico solid at one end it had a nearly triangular flap at the other and was laced at closing time by cotton neck cord tanned to brass screw eyes on the squarish frame nutted to the decks to sustain them a mop and loose cords for lacing etc completed my outfit for grub you must please yourself i took cheese which got mildewed a bit but was none the worse for shaving it before use bread a pot of jam bacon etc were put in a tin box but it ought to have been better ventilated we live and learn thank providence if i'm a wee bit thinner i've lived to tell the tale and now for an eulogy on my oldest man friend one ben harwood philosopher and shoemaker aged eighty in his years in nineteen twenty what has he got to do with it well at seventy-four he built more hen the second with a free hand to build her as he chose to and a handy thing she is today ben is mending up a boat whereon to build a houseboat for himself one i got for him to keep him young ben is the man who made the yarwhelp shears and framing no professional could have done them better 
his long experiences of yacht building and sailing about broadland as well as his intimate knowledge of Braden, have always been at my disposal and of these i have on many occasions been glad to avail myself i often chat with him on subjects from politics to peewits from homer to herrings from god to lowest man yea at his snobbing he used to recite virgil by the l and the iliad by the fathom a man who can as easily discuss napoleon the first his hero as the lines of a boat for it is said of him he hath built three yachts let alone boats with his shoemaker's knife he it was who first took me on braden in the early seventies to my good father's horror he took me eel-netting bird-catching herring-curing in his own small smoke-house boating etc he was my willing tutor i made myself his ready pupil spare-built sprightly healthy intelligent imbued with a healthy natural religion he and i are as good chums as ever he has been in fact a sort of alpha and omega to my love of the open the boatman straight held on his course with staid steadfastness ne never shrunk ne never sought to bait his tried arms for toilsome weariness but with his oars did sweep the watery wilderness by spencer end of section nine End of Through Broadland in a Braden Punt by John Nolittle, a pseudonym of the writer and naturalist Arthur Henry Patterson.